This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What is one part... Can I go get more coffee? (laughs) Yeah, you want to? You need to? Do you mind if I do? Not at all. Are we allowed to interrupt? How will you edit this? Through the magic of post-production. Do what you need, babe. But what... Okay. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game. Welcome into the PBP. Yes, it's me, Matt Spiegel. It's funny, as we record, one of the biggest stories in baseball is about play-by-play. Kevin Brown suspended by the Orioles for giving genuine context about the team's newfound success in the division. Context that was provided to him by the team's PR staff in the game notes broadcasters are handed every single day. Just an incredibly absurd story. Others have spoken passionately about this absolute travesty all around the play-by-play community. And in next week's episode, our guest, Howie Rose of the Mets broadcast team, is going to get deeper into it. Um, But let me just say this from my perspective. The Angelos family should have learned from what they did to John Miller nearly 30 years ago, and they have not. Peter Angelos at the time said he wanted someone who, quote, bleated orange and black more. And like Peter's son, John, now with Kevin Brown, Peter could not handle simply hearing the truth. Fans want the truth. No one is harder on a team than the fans, and they know when they're being lied to. That is true then when John Miller was fired by the Orioles, and it's even more true now. The Orioles have to live with the fact that they fired a broadcaster that most consider to be the living standard as the greatest to do this job. You're going to hear John Boog Shambi in this very episode reference and credit John Miller multiple times. And all of that comes under the header of San Francisco Giants broadcaster, not Orioles. More next week on this, but the beauty of the fans chanting free Kevin Brown organically at Tuesday night's Orioles game is a testament to the foolishness and shame of the whole thing. All right. Um, I love this episode. I love this conversation recorded at the man's house and not the first time I've been there to Boog's house. So there's a comfort level, which is different. And I think you'll hear that. You know, those amazing podcasts where like the actors or the comics are talking to their friends and it feels like you're just hanging out with them. You know, those ones. Um, I think maybe me and Boog got there. This guy is smart. He's funny. He's curious. He's earnest. He always wants to awaken everyone statistically 
But thankfully, he also has a sense of humor about it. See if you can hear me sipping coffee out of one of Boog's mugs as we sit in the little library room at his house. You'll definitely hear me giggling as he tells us about the Marquee Sports Network television booth and his inquisitive partner. So my partner, Jim Deshays, you're familiar with his work. I am. Big fan. He likes to test the wind at Wrigley Field by throwing a Jim Deshays baseball card out of the booth. Which is amazing. I've never heard that as yes. a thing that any analyst has done. He's got a big stack of his own cards. That's correct. <laughs> but it's he doesn't waste them. It's not a wasteful exercise. It's one a game, maybe two. So for the most part, they land right below us. And they come fluttering down and someone reaches for it. And then they look at it kind of like it's raining frogs and then they look back up at the booth and sometimes we wave and sometimes we ignore them and then that confuses them and what is he learning at this point he's learning what the wind is doing right in front of the booth but wrigley's insane so it could be going matt he's learning nothing it's an exercise that's fun for both of us and i enjoy it really have enjoyed it since year one anyway so earlier this year um the Cubs are playing the Mariners. Now, J.D., for the most part, it'll make it <clears throat> down below. Sometimes it'll make it to the lower level. That's one where you watch the people and they find the card and it freaks them out. They don't understand what's happening. Also, Taylor McGregor found a Jim Deshays card by like a mustard dispenser on the concourse <laughs> at one point. That's another story. Yeah, I'm getting a real Magnolia Raining Frogs vibe here. Yes. So anyway... That's the that is the reference, by the way. So um, it's not the Bible. Uh, okay, so we're playing the Mariners. It's the game that Kelnick hits one seven thousand feet. I think my home run call was just oh, <laughs> and the ball was flying. And so, unlike most games where he'll do it pregame, he decides to test the wind in the third inning. And it makes it onto the field in fair territory. <laughs> and we are beside ourselves. He does it between innings. And we're like, what do we do? Should we show it? Are we going to get in trouble? If we show it, we're, we might get in trouble. We can't put the camera on it. We kind of need to put the camera on it. Though. How did it get all the way out there? That's amazing. And so we just keep talking about it. But we're, can't, we're not sure what to do. And then the game starts to go on. And then we forget about the card. Because <laughs> you're doing a ball game. That's there's, right. There's six more innings. We're busy. We're busy. <laughs> so post-game, mm -hmm. I get a text with a picture, and it's from Scott Service. Be the manager. The of manager the of the Mariners. And it says, hey, when I was going to take George Kirby out, I looked down just inside the foul line, and this was there. So I picked it up. I looked at it. I knew we were in good shape once I saw it was a JD card, and I put it in my pocket. <laughs> Why does he think they're in good shape at that point? That's fascinating. I think, he, well, they're former teammates. I think he was making a joke. Oh, like, God. I made you I explain know. it. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. That is, you, you had an effect on the game. Is, that's correct. Is, is the way that it, that it feels to me. Yes. Um, that is a level of joy 
and comfort and like some terror, obviously, that goes on in the booth. So you're living a whole you're living a whole emotional life as Boog shows me. I screw I screw the story up. It was Logan Gilbert. It wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that that that's maybe a little better. Kirby. He's like, he loves that, his stuff. He's feeling even more right. secure. Gilbert, he's a little worried, but then he's like, oh, there's JD. Yeah. There's my guy. I'm good. He's good. Yeah. Are, you, um, are you feeling free enough at this point in your career, having done this as long as you have, to have a full, like, emotional and kind of psychological experience like that, like the, 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 the mechanics of actually doing the game and the muscle memory of doing the game? Is it is it comfortable enough where you're using, I don't know, 30 percent of your brain or 40 percent of your brain now and you're free up to have a regular human experience? You know what I mean? Ooh, that's a good question. I still uh, let me start with this. I would tell you and God, people are going to be so tired of my act. I uh, one of the things I really love about the job on a day in day out basis is that I get to use my brain. Uh I really like that part of it. You know me well enough. So, yes. I will tell you that as I've gone on, one of the things I appreciate about the job on TV, especially when I do radio, like it's almost 90. It's a it's to do the job is kind of it's like a mindfulness experience because it's almost impossible to call play by play and listen to your partner and engage the conversation in the back of your head about, I have to do this when I get home. I have put on weight. I am going on a date later. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So you have to be present. Um, it demands it. And, and so it's like this gift that once the game starts and you're on the air, you're forced to be present, and it's great. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I've, that's been a theme on this podcast is the the mindfulness of it. And I can tell you just by me doing it last weekend or two weekends ago or whatever it was, I turned off my phone. I mean, I, I'm sure you're to the point where you don't need to do that, but I was so nervous and, and green, I needed to do that. And boy, did that help with my forced mindfulness that yes. you're talking about. Yeah, you have to do that. The ball game as a gift in your personal life yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, it's three hours where you're just being asked to be right there. That when you're describing the pitch where the ball is hit, it's just not possible to engage those other things, those other conversations in our head that mm. we have during the day as we're checking out at Whole Foods or whatever, that as you're taking your stuff out of the basket, you're thinking, how much time do I have to get to work? And can I still do this? And you're someplace else. Yeah. I wonder if that forced mindfulness is part of why people don't want to quit. You know, like uh, on any level of association with it, having 162 times a year, where you lock in and your friends and your family know, yep, you got a job to do. You're doing your job. We're, we're all so interruptible in our lives. but Yeah, that's a, so that's a good point. You're, you're not very interruptible with that gig, right? Yeah. So I think it's part of it. I think that it probably just becomes so... The sport and the gig is so routine-oriented. You're just, you know, I always used to say it's like, especially when you're doing the team thing, you're 
you're in a bubble and the people outside the bubble can't understand it. Not fully. And I mean to the point where the people that are on the plane, there's a shared experience and something about the experience that even their spouses can't get. Because you're just doing it every single day. You know, I think the negative way to do it is, do you remember the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial where the guy's like time to make the donuts yes. time to make the you know y- y- you can get into that mode a little bit and i don't like that i, d- I try not to get into that mode i wanted you know it's today we play the braves you know what i mean yes as opposed to time to make the donuts i don't want it to be time to make the donuts that that's probably dependent on how people are just as people you know like uh, eventually yes. like are you someone who can find the joy and the curiosity in the seemingly mundane? Because it's not mundane. No. Um, hey, this is a really good part for me to ask if I can curse. Yes. Okay. And then, so, I mean, the two of us getting together in this setting, people not familiar with our work, but... I mean, this is going to be for somebody's going to end up in some type of like existential crisis at the end listening to this because you and I are going to go so deep and most people are going to finish listening to this like, you know, I thought I liked those two, but they're assholes. They're assholes. Yeah. And then- their, their act is so tired. It's like you're a talk show host and a play-by-play guy. Uh, like, enough. Oh, God. It's all about you guys. Yeah. My God. That's right. Yeah. Like, wh- why would you think we're interested? Yeah. In, in, Don't in care. <laughs> Jay Cutler has entered the chat. Yeah, um, yeah no. It's, it, look, so, so you just described a level of kind of involvement with the club that that is that I've been trying to to put a, a finger on throughout the whole thing. It's kind of like you're an embedded journalist like in Vietnam, not to minimize a wartime experience, but like you're you're sent you're in there with the soldiers in the trenches often and you're traveling but you're not really part of the fight. Um, but you get to see stuff and follow up. Is there an another another analogy that makes more sense cuz when you're with a club it, 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 it's, it's fascinating to me. Like, you are part of it. You're in managers' meetings. You're in the room. Right. You're, you're talking. You're learning stuff. You're and knowing your schedule stuff. is their schedule. Yes. It's, so it's the same. I, th- I, I, don't, I don't know that I've come up with an analogy or metaphor that, that necessarily works. I will say this. I have a friend, for example, who has worked a long time on and off in the English Premier League. And he says to me the baseball schedule is madness and he has asked and other people ask how do you do it you just do it they're gonna play today and my job's to broadcast the game so like you just have to you know in the same to that extent it's like the players as well where they just get wired in a way where you just play yeah so somebody's gonna play yeah somebody's got to broadcast a game so might as well know. might as well be you. Might as well be me. Yeah. Um you love being able to chase down knowledge, don't you? Like it like where does that rank among your favorite benefits of the gig? Because you you have a thirst for it and a freaking desire to know stuff. Yeah. I mean that's gotta be high on the list of stuff you very like. 
Yeah, I think that it's the thing that's kept me so engaged over the years. You know, I tell people I, I still like this sport and I'm interested in the sport at the same level as when I was six. Legit. But the reasoning has changed. And so, yeah, I think that the quest for knowledge, but it's not like accumulating. To, it's just because I'm genuinely interested. And then I also think it becomes a storytelling thing, something you can share with people. You know, we had a game last night and just randomly because I had done it a couple years prior. You know, Look, not everybody's in on advanced metrics and I like it and I recognize that we got to be careful with how much we stuff down people's throats but then the other part is this is what's actually happening that's my biggest the the sort of the biggest uh you know flag I put in the ground is look this is how they're viewing the sport the people building the teams so we can sit here and look at wins and RBIs till we're blue in the face but they're not looking at that. So you're engaging in some fantasy world at this point. So anyway, I had a I had a conversation a couple years ago with Mike Chernoff when the Cubs were getting ready to play the Guardians and Savali was pitching. Mike Chernoff, president of baseball ops? Yeah. For Cleveland. He, Something yeah, like or that. Their, or their GM, Antonetti, is their president of baseball. Anyway. There we go. So... In the middle of the conversation, when I was asking him about Savali, because his peripherals were not great, I was like, is he real? Blah, blah, blah. And he stops himself in the middle of it. And he says, wait, he's got a lot of wins, doesn't he? And at that time, he was leading the American League in wins. So he didn't even know. <laughs> and I said, will you let me share that? Just to So, okay, you may not be interested in Woba. And not that I dropped that very much. You may not even like when we mention OBP, but I try to give you what the league average is. But the point is, you got to be at least a little interested in the fact that Mike Chernoff has no idea how many wins Savali has. Absolutely. That's, that's instructive right. in terms of the way that the GMs think about it. So last but, night, uh-huh. I text Carter Hawkins, who's leading our team in RBIs? It's the Cubs GM, because Bellinger got his 51st last night. Yes. And he sends me Hap? Nope. <laughs> Swanson? Nope. <laughs> and then he lands on Nico, and I'm like, would you be okay if I shared that? <laughs> and he's like, sure. But he asked everybody in the suite, and Jed was the only one that knew. Yeah. But, like, again, it just – think about that for a second. Like, sure. the guy who is putting – and it's the way they're all doing it. It's the way they all do it. There, there, there is an accepted groupthink, and I don't mean that in a negative. There's right. an accepted groupthink about what matters and what doesn't statistically for people who right. are doing that job. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I, I know how invested you are in the statistical awakening of um, friends, colleagues, the masses, uh, all of us. You wanted to you want to aggressively drag us to your. No, that's not. True. I know. I know. Um, no. But but I love the way you think about it. I have been a guy who pushes against that for decades in certain ways. And there have been times that I was a, I'm a little embarrassed of that my awakening was a little slow. Right. But what I, what I find fascinating is that there are still people within the game who push against it. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes they're managers. Very often they're players. But there yeah. are people who push against it and have to do the bidding of the ones who are more powerful. But... I think that's part of why I myself and maybe others have pushed for nuance in that conversation sometimes because, well, what about these guys who are actually doing it, who I ask about and it matters to them? What am I supposed to do with that? Right. So but that's the thing that I think is the rub here. And it even gets into broadcasting. I mean, of course, you know, it does gonna name names. But as a general idea. People can't get their head around the idea that there are folks that played the game, that played the game really well, that don't understand it that well, <laughs> and that don't know that much. <laughs> That's just real. And people, ha it's like it doesn't compute, and I understand why it doesn't compute, but wow. like... It's just... But it's, then that gets to a battle of, of sort of ego power yes. on some level, where those that played it yes. feel like, I don't have to understand it. I'm just good at it. Well, who, that, who are that's you? That's right. Who are you that's to right. tell me how to understand yes, it? Yes, absolutely. But it's the, you know, it's the Dick Vitale. You don't have to have had a heart attack to be a heart surgeon. Hmm. Oh, that's good. That's a Vitale line? Yeah. I love that. So... Yes, Let they're me. right. They're great. <laughs> I mean, I like so, but it's anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk play by play. Yes. I don't want to be nerd guy the whole time. No, no, no. You're not. You're not nerd guy. And but it, it you always make me nerd guy. <laughs> hey, look, if I could tell people the books that are in this room that we're in right now, that would not help your nerd guy. I know, but fight yeah. if you're looking to undefine yourself. There it is. There's uh, that book, <laughs> the Statistical Awakening of Taylor McGregor. <laughs> Well, I didn't know that Keith Law wrote this many books. You know what I mean? All right. <laughs> They're all up here. Stop it. So who um, is was there a moment as a kid where you're like, man, I want to do that. Do you have 
a moment, and maybe it's a little older. I don't know when it was for you. Um, and I'm curious if it, uh, I'm curious if there was a specific voice or a specific play-by-play person that got you there, and maybe you aspired to that specifically. But however your origin story starts in your mind, what is it? I would say my origin story starts as sort of I love baseball. You know, I've told the story a million times. I was uh, six, and my grandparents went on a cruise, and I didn't understand what a cruise was, so they explained what a cruise was to me. And they sat there, and my grandfather told me, you know, we go, we leave, giant boat, gambling, dancing, drinking, eating. And when he finished, all I asked was, how do you get the box scores? <laughs> and he was like, you don't. And I said, well, I'm not going. <laughs> So I just loved it. I loved the sport. I wanted to play. So I can't say, you know, my my fantasy was to play. Harry Callis was the voice. So like Harry, who was the... Uh, the Michael Jack yeah, Schmidt, number voice, 500. Yeah, the, the voice of the Phillies. And then... Paul Malls. He Paul Malls did, Right. And then he did, he did some NFL films, you know, filling in for John Facenda. And yeah, so that was the voice born in Philadelphia, moved to New York, but like, that's the voice. And then I don't know, just as a kid, I wasn't a shy kid. That's for sure. And I was, I, you know, my dad had, had, and has tape recordings of me as a kid, just kind of talking and hamming it up. There was a performative component to it. I will say that as it went on, I don't think I knew that I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I was probably, not probably, I was more interested in being talk radio guy. Ah. Um, but baseball was always my absolute love. So that scale, in my mind, um, I have a scale of how, you know, where your starting point might be to become a play-by-play person. So... Benetti started with the technical and nailed the technical and then let his personality bloom. I, in my 50s, have the personality part down as a talk show host and an entertainer. And then I've fought hard to try and learn the technical. So as you talk about it and you dreamed of talk show host, it sounds like maybe you started personality and then added the technical. No. No, I I would so I did the talk radio and then I was kind of obsessed with learning the technical. I thought the technical was really hard. My, you know, so I would go to Marlins games and sit in an empty broadcast booth and do games into a tape recorder and then when I felt like I had a good enough tape, I uh I gave it to some people. Did you listen to your tape? Early on, did you listen to yourself and dissect yeah. yourself? I will say that the best, you know, in the early years, the best advice that I got that I still give to people, and it's hard to do because you're anxious and antsy and you want, but if you're going to listen to yourself, don't listen the day after or right after the game. Try and wait like two weeks so that you can at least give yourself a bit of the experience that the actual viewer or listener has, because if you're listening to yourself in this anticipatory, okay, this is where I, where I'm about to say this, you're not, you're not really experiencing it the way the listener. And then what you find is 
you're not as bad or it wasn't as bad in that spot as you thought it was. It's probably it wasn't even as good as you thought it was in the spots where you really nailed it. So I would go do games in a tape recorder. Eventually, I got a job. My buddy Dan Lebetard um, connected me with one of his college friends who was doing games in Sioux City. And that team owned another team in Boise, Idaho. I got a job short season A. And then it was kind of off from there. But it was the mechanical stuff that it definitely flummoxed me. I didn't think I was very good. And I had a hard time with it. And I will say that after a couple years, I gave a tape to John Miller. And he gave me the best piece of technical advice that I'd ever gotten. It's still the thing that I help young broadcasters with. And it's radio advice. But it's still, it's so brilliant, and it helps so much. And I, I'll, I'll remember to tag, you know, I've told John this a million times, but he, he had a funny line one time recently when I told him how much he had helped me. But his, his big emphasis was being on time and utilizing the sounds in the ballpark. But his big emphasis was as a play-by-play guy, you want to tell people that the play is beginning and the play begins when the pitcher pitches the ball. So that what, and what he was again, his opinion. Now I'll interrupt and say, I think after Vin, John is probably as good as there's ever been mechanically telling stories, all of it, but his, technical advice was tell people to play is beginning so you want here's the pitch here's the two two kicks and fires every time if you can and if the batter swings give him motion so you don't want the three two hit on the you want swing and a ground ball but the biggest piece of advice that he gave that was so sensational was you want to say, here's the pitch or here's the 2-2 before you think you do. So that if you try with Kyle Hendricks to say, here's the pitch as his arm is releasing the ball, the ball's faster than your voice. Yeah, you're late. So as you're saying the TCH in pitch, the ball's hitting the mitt. So... His point is, you kind of, you know, as his arm is starting to come around, that's where you want to say, here's the pitch, so that you can use the sounds. Because in a well-miked park, it should sound like, here's the pitch. In there for a strike. Nothing in one. Or it hits the bat. So there should be a little... So for me, if I listen to a radio highlight, I want... Space. I want to hear, here's the 2-2, space, crack, swing and a high fly ball, deep left field. That's what I want to hear every time. And then the other part of that advice is that it puts you on time. If you do that, if you say here's the pitch a tiny bit before you think you need to, you're less likely to chase the play. And if you do play-by-play, play, you understand what I'm like, chasing the plays, you're just behind and you're trying to stuff you know, four pounds into a two-pound bag because you're late. So it was just amazing. And even today, 
you know, I mainly do TV now, and I'll go over and do a Sunday night game on the radio or I get to the postseason, and it can feel fast, and then I'll just slow it down, and it's... You probably got to be even earlier on radio, don't you? Or I'm talking about radio mainly, so... On you know on the radio you're just focusing on the pitcher you know what I mean so you're just you may leave out some other stuff and you know all right I want to follow up on this but what was John Miller's tag when you talked to him about it you told him how much it helped you oh I, my timing's been bad lately I I probably want to remember to do that some more <laughs> it was it was something to the effect of I forgot I had told you that you know what that's that's really good advice I. I gotta I gotta mix that in tonight. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, so I heard a version of that from Joe Davis, which I thought about as I did my three games, which was, and he heard it from Miller, which was, and you mentioned it in there, but but all I got from Joe was use the pop of the mitt and or the crack of the bat as part of the cadence of your call. Yes, and and I adored that, and that helped kind of guide me. Uh, Joe Buck, who's like the first person I ever really talked about. Well, him and Len Casper are the first people I ever really talked about the gig in, in this kind of detail with. Buck told me the pitch is the star. Never lose sight of the pitch. All, have different ways to say here comes the pitch. And the 2-1. He fires. Like all that kind of thing. So I thought about those two things. Like, all right, if that's the basis of how I do it, great. But what you just gave me is so massively helpful to make sure you say, here's the pitch earlier than you think. Because I was playing catch-up all three days. I felt at different times I was playing catch-up, and if that little trick gets you on time and frees you up to do everything else. To the point, and I don't want this to freak you out, but this, but I would say that there are t- this will happen to me absolutely, where you want to be ahead enough so that this will happen to me. Hendricks will go regular signs. Looks in, says yes. And the 2-2. Nope, won't be made. Throws to first. Hmm. Like, you're that trying to be that far ahead. So, like, sometimes you're – he you see him start to move, and you're starting to say, here comes the – and he throws to first, and you just say, no, hey, that dovetails. it's fine. That dovetails with your experience in the park. You're, re- you're waiting for the pitch, and then right. the guy throws to first. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's that, that's okay. Yeah. Boy, incredibly helpful. Um, all right. So, yeah, it, I, I love how you say, like, look, yeah, sometimes I do radio or get to the postseason. Voice of the World Series on the radio. Voice of the All-Star Game on the radio. But as you say, you're doing so much TV. You can be, I, I know you don't choose to be, but you can be sloppier on TV. Yeah, and I would say this. I think I... COVID stunk. Be, do you know like we can i mean i'm happy too and have had many people say i loved you on korea baseball uh but we're sitting in our apartment talking over games and it became a little more podcasty sure and i think it made me a little worse i i do i i i feel yeah, so, I, yes, you can be sloppier. I think sometimes I'm guilty of it. Um, yeah, but when you're talking about doing the K, the Korea games, and I watched some of those, especially when you and Benetti worked together. I thought those were so cool. But That was magic. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? Yes. You could tell it was. I don't know where the Emmy is, but it better be coming. <laughs> the, um, 
but that's you're watching on TV, and you can't read stuff. Well, like, the best thing with that, too, I mean, I was in my apartment in New York City in the middle of the pandemic, and these games would be at 4.30, 5.30... Eastern time, four thirty in the morning. In the morning, yeah. So I would get up at either two or at three and do my prep. But then this would happen. It happened probably four times. Ten minutes before the broadcast, you get a phone call. Hey, uh, I know you were going to do the Kiwoom Hanwha game, but it got rained out. <laughs> So in 10 minutes, you're going to do the NC Dinos and the Lotte Giants. And the first time that Phil Orland said that to me, I was kind of like, oh, that's funny, Phil. Oh, no, I'm serious. Okay, wait, what? There's a game starting in 10. I didn't know the other two teams very well to begin with. Now there's two new teams. Uh, that is that's absurd. So and there- <laughs> it was it was, and then you'd have people tweeting at you. Do the play by play. I mean, it was just it was like look, you had to make it fun. So you so you that autopilot that kicks in, whether it's radio or TV, play by play, yeah, clicks off a little bit or clicked off then for me. You know, you're sort of just accenting what you're seeing, but it 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 was like I said, it was like log rolling and juggling chainsaws. It was what the experience was like because you were a prisoner to whatever camera shots they showed. Sure. So you'd be in the middle of a conversation, and there's that guy, <laughs> and you know what I mean. So it just became. Yeah, we. I mean, we had fun. It sounds. It sounds like it. We had fun, but I also would say, I don't think it made you worse. I I feel like it did. It probably made you. It made you more loose on some levels and more into the fun and the entertainment. I I think that because you are now because that that comes across like you, you and you and JD and whoever. If it's if it's Sutcliffe, um, you know, you have obviously a great relationship with him. There's a sense of play. Yes, that is is massively important over 160. That's so. The, the one thing I'll say is back to what you talked about in terms of the origin story. Yeah, that's five year old me. Like that's who I am. I'm someone who just likes to play. It's the way when I get to the ballpark and I people engage me on the concourse. People that are working. Uh, at Wrigley, or I like to play, man. I just do. Yeah. It's just my it's sort of my natural state. I will say that one of the really cool things, and again, just my assessment is, I didn't. I would. I think I got better, like thirty nine, forty, forty one, which is something I would not have anticipated. But I did, in my opinion, because. Um, I just think I I delivered the most authentic version of me. Like the biggest thing you're trying to do is I'm holding my left hand out all the way to the to the left and then my right hand out to the right. You're trying to take what you're like off the air and what you're like on the air and you're trying to make them as close together as possible. That's oh. that's what you're trying to do. Hell yeah. And and and, th- and I can tell you that's the same 
for broadcasters of any kind, at least my aspiration yes. as a talk show host has always been to remove as much artifice as I can between myself and the microphone. I tried to do it doing ESPN games when it's still a little more formal, you know? I think local TV, there's normally more space for it, but I still think you want to deliver... Look, the best example I could give you in three years working for the Cubs of what I'm talking about is is an example my, uh, that I could give you for my partner. And that is doing a game remotely, tight shot, Ryan Tapera. I audibly say, hmm. And JD says, what? And I said, I'm trying to figure out who Ryan Tapera looks like. And JD says, he kind of looks like my cousin Randy. <laughs> but here's the point. For so long in this business, we've been programmed to, you can't say that. That's not serious. But that's the thing that if he and I were sitting on the couch watching, 100%. that we would say and it would make me roar. So I think that that's the part and the sensibility that he and I share you're just getting the two of us hanging out. That's there's a lot of stuff where, and it's a wonderful feeling, but there's a lot of stuff where when J.D. and I reference things, I'm saying, okay, was that on the air or was that off the air? And then I think we're in a good space. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Um, all right. Well, before I started doing the pod, I had a big list of questions that I thought I would use as a thread through for every interview. Some of them stunk. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, fun fact, folks, I sent them all to John Boog Shambi, who um, gave me some feedback. Some of them did stink, and they've been excised. Some of them stay, and then you gave me a couple that I have oh, en no. enjoyed. So now I get to throw them at you. These are, <laughs> these are questions you fed me, pal. All right, question one that Boog suggested I ask God, other people. But... So, so, like, <laughs> I'm so screwed if my answers suck. I mean, my answers have sucked, but I, yeah. in this yeah. instance. So, yeah, pressure's on. This is clutch. This is you got to come up clutch or at least the absence of choke yeah. if you can. Mm -hmm. What is one part of your game prep that you can't ignore? Like I have to do this before every single game. Yeah, the, I mean the starting point, it's funny. I talk with Pat about it, but um if you make me prepare for a game, the first thing that I'm going to do is where where do the Cubs rank today? in the National League and in the majors, in runs per game, in homers, in on-base, and in slug, and where do they rank in ERA, starters ERA, uh, relief ERA, and strikeout rate overall, and then the same thing for the Braves. Like it. Um, what? Who is the person that helped you the most? Anyone, family or in the business, when you think about this career? I'll go two parts. I think, you know, Dave O'Brien was one of the first guys that critiqued my tape uh, and has always been kind of a big brotherish type guy who's helped me a lot. And then I, I still would have to say that because of what John Miller gave me in terms of that technical advice and has always been, a you know, willing to talk and share thoughts. That's awesome. Um, would you say this is my follow up? Um, if you don't mind, my own follow-ups in the middle of your questions. Mm. Um, would you say that there is, in general, um, a kind of an inclusive 
um, sensibility of like offering to help and share within the broadcasting community? I would say so. I think there's a pay it forward yes. type vibe. I mean, I I try as much as I can. I have a sort of a cue right now, but if somebody says they do play by play, I'll offer to listen and critique it. Yeah. Um, did you ever doubt that you would be good enough to do it at the highest level? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. I, uh, I remember doing the games in Boise and I was just like, this is hard. Cause it's that classic. The sport is really slow and then it gets fast all of a sudden. And that's the thing that's so challenging about doing the play by play and, and all of the reps and the words just fall out of your mouth and your brain just activates in a way. But yeah, I had I had doubt that I would be able to do it well and then doubts that I would, you know, be able to improve on that when I got there. Mm-hmm. And that personal maturity that you were talking about at thirty nine or forty at forty one, you feel like that 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 helped you get over a final hump on some on some level. See, my follow ups are bad. I can't. No, I can't. They are. I can't say. I mean, I get all. I, in, I get all you, in my feelings, boo. No, know? but I can tell you that I genuinely felt like, wow, I don't know if I'm good enough at this. When I was doing Boise, I just kept doing it and practicing and trying to get better. Yeah. Um. Well, here, let's follow up with another one of yours. What's the last time you were nervous before a broadcast? You told me to ask this. I think. <laughs> Blame yourself, pal. Yeah. I think I might have been nervous before Cubs, before my first Cubs spring training game. Maybe opening day of 21. Definitely a little bit for Shulman got laryngitis and I called the clincher of game five of the World Series uh, on national radio in 2018. Wow. And I was a little, but not in any, just sort of the butterflies. Cool. Those are fun though, yeah. right? Was it a good game? Yeah, it was the Red Sox scored every run on a homer. Oh, was it the clincher? Was it the, the clincher? It was the extra inning game where... No, so it's the clincher. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so sale finishing. Yes. Sale again looks in. He's ready. Turns, kicks, fires. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. And the celebration begins. They mob Chris Sale. And the dog pile starts third base side of the pitcher's mound. For the fourth time in the last 15 years, the Red Sox are World Series champions. So, so you got to call the Red Sox the clinching final out. the World Series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that was cool. That's pretty large. That whole sure. team, the, a lot of that team is back together in L.A., huh? J.D. Martinez and Mookie yeah, right. Betts. Yeah, yeah. Joe Kelly. Yep. Um, funniest interaction with a player. I know you've had a lot of them. You love them. You adore it. So I love that. I, I mean, know you do. It's got to be the Chipper Jones story. Oh, yeah. I think I I know you've told me personally, but yeah, no. Tell me here. Yeah, it's I I get I'm pretty fortunate to be able to. I I feel like I've had a a ton of them. Just 
because my thing is you're trying to humanize the players. So my three years that I did the Atlanta Braves on television was a blast. Chipper was a lot of fun. He was amazing to watch. He was, he's a savant. You know, he's one of those guys, like some players think they know and remember stuff. Chipper knows and remembers. He's the only, I would sit there with the batter pitcher matchups. You know, this is like 07, and you'd get batter pitcher matchups, and you'd be like, hey, A.J. Burnett, do you know whether you're good against him? And some guy would be like, I think I see the ball pretty good against him. It's like, you're 0 for 15 with 12 <laughs> punch-outs. Um, but Chipper was always like, how are you against Sean Markham? No at-bats, but I did homer on, on a change-up in spring training three years ago. You know, like stuff like that. So anyway. Wow. 2008, I believe, and it was the year I think Chipper won the batting title. It's August. We're in San Diego. And there's a video clip of this that I retold it and it went viral. And my partner in the booth is Rossi. And we had Chipper in the booth for it. So good. But the story is Chipper had not been swinging the bat particularly well. And he'd been swinging at the first pitch a lot and been rolling over to second a lot. And so I went on fan graphs and I noticed that he saw the second fewest first pitch strikes by percentage in the majors. And I asked him, why do you keep swinging at the first pitch? You don't get very many strikes. You're, he had 368. I know, year. but I wasn't I wasn't like I'm just asking. He had it an was, OBP of 470 okay. in 2008, Boog. Who the but hell so, are you? But I'm not I wasn't I, I I don't everybody takes it that way. <laughs> I was simply asking. I was presenting information. I was not saying don't swing it. I was just please it was for him honestly for him it was it was like putting coins in a machine when you would present stuff like this to him. Yeah. And so he would say to me or he said to me that day, because it's probably the only time in the hole at bat I'm going to get a fastball. So I'm hunting a fastball. That's why I do it. So we continue the conversation, and then they have to go take batting practice. So the conversation kind of stops. It yeah. doesn't actually conclude. And that night in the first inning, he's hitting third. First two guys making out. He's facing Tim Stoffer, former first-round pick, with not particularly good stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Chipper digs in, and the first pitch from Tim Stoffer is like 90 or 91, and it splits the plate with a crappy fastball, and he steps out of the box and looks up at me like, see, asshole, that's why I swing at the first pitch. And then he digs back in and, like, shakes his head. He ended up walking. But then when he told the story with me and and Rossi, he said, if you had any clue as to what was the language that was going around in my my head right there because i let you dictate the the bat right there yeah the the hall of famer right yes by the way i walked in that at bat if you're wondering (laughs) we came back from down 01 and we ended up walking and we were left stranded and i got some more as he came off the field he's waving at me which is incredible. The yes. guy who's a Hall of Famer, sure. and he's up there, and he's like, should I be swinging the first pitch? I don't know if I should be swinging the first pitch. So <laughs> You got in his head for one at bat. Amazing. And, like, I have a, I mean, I have a frozen picture of him looking up at me in the broadcast booth. It's, it's just, yeah. 
Oh, that's beautiful. If you Google, I mean, if you put Boog and Chipper on Twitter or on Instagram, you can find it anywhere. Well, maybe eventually that search will lead them to this episode of the PBP Voices of Baseball. I love that. Where they would hear it as part of a broader conversation. Um, it's perfect. Uh, Boog, you, you affected the podcast greatly, not just with the questions as interacted about a year ago or whatever it was, but um, right here. This, 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 this kind of conversation is what I want this thing to be. So thank you. Thanks for having me, brother. Bye, brother. Amazing. Boog with the uh, understandable arrogance to say we walked in that at bat. Him and Chipper. So much good stuff in there, in my opinion, in that conversation about getting to use your brain, about engaging the conversation in the back of your head and maybe most of all, for me, the forced mindfulness. You know I love that. Bonetti and I talked about about that in the first episode that I did with Jason. But Boog put it in a wonderful way. Three hours where you're just being asked to be there. And it's an incredibly beneficial thing in his life to actually be there. The mindfulness that I was able to experience doing the games, I've been able to kind of carry it with me a little bit. I try to turn off my phone more during a radio show or during something that I'm, uh, I really should be focusing on. And baseball, again, and still offering really good lessons, even at this point in my life and career. Okay, next week, Howie Rose, the radio voice of the Mets, who started a Marv Albert fan club at the age of 13. You'll hear that story, among many others, in a great conversation I really enjoyed. My producer here on the PBP Voices of Baseball is Ryan Porth. My collaborator is James Vickery. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus. Find the PBP Voices of Baseball in the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, the PBP Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game. <laughs>